Um, I encourage you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. Uh, we're going to begin this morning. We're actually going to be looking at verses 15 through 21, uh, but we're going to begin and uh, where we kind of left off last week. We're going to start reading in verse 9 and read down through 21. Uh, while you turn there, I just would like to point out to you, you know, we believe in a sovereign and holy God who does all things well and who plans all things. And so there's been a theme that has run through this service up until this point, and it has been the, the Lord as our shelter. It has been him covering us and caring for us, whether it's in JoJo's song or in Ben's children's sermon, it's been there. And so, you know, sometimes we, we have to hear what he's saying to us, and it's going to continue here in our passage today. And so, if you're here today and you're seeking shelter, if you're seeking uh, just relief from the storm, I encourage you to hear God's word to you here in our passage today. Let's, let's read what God has for us. It says there in verse 9, And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from, the heart, from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rocks are those who when they hear the word receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe it for a while and in a time of testing they fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care, then, how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, as we come now to this portion of your holy and inerrant word, uh, we, we pray for what Jesus calls us to hear, uh, for ears to hear, for ears to hear the truth. Uh, Lord, we don't need to hear from me. We don't need to hear my opinion. We don't need to hear what I think about this passage. Uh, we need to hear from the Holy Spirit. And so be pleased, we pray, to, to meet with us, to speak to us in a mighty and powerful way so that we might see our Savior. We might grow closer to Jesus. And it's his, in his name we pray. Amen. Cultivating good soil. Well, over the, the last few years, especially during the, the time of the pandemic when we were really on lockdown, one of the things that I really have come to enjoy in life is working in the yard. Now, now, nobody is as surprised by that fact as I am. I don't really have a green thumb. I don't really have a clue what I'm doing. But there is something satisfying about cutting grass. There, there's something satisfying 
about planting something and seeing it grow and knowing, hey, I planted that there, and God has made this beautiful, beautiful thing that, that I planted. There's something really uh, particularly great about that, and that's been true this year, maybe more than ever, for whatever reason, whether it's the weather or the rain, I have a theory that it might be the snow, but there's no scientific basis of that. It's just my theory. Uh, all my plants, they seem to have bloomed, at least early in the year, more than they ever have. And so we've had hydrangea blooms and hosta blooms. My, my Japanese boxwoods in the front, they're greener than they've ever been. It's been particularly satisfying to see all of that. But uh, along the way, as I've really kind of gotten into this, I have had to, to learn namely from my mother and then also from the Ballards, uh, the trade, the skill uh, of yard work, the skill of getting in the flower bed and, and doing things right. And one of the things that I've learned, maybe the most important thing, is the, the most important things you do, that they don't happen really when you plant, they happen before and after you plant, right? So before, you, you want to look for a place that has good water, good sun, uh, you want to maybe fertilize the soil if it needs it. You want to remove any obstructions. You may want to lay down landscaping paper if you don't want to have to weed all day long. Uh, and, you, of course, you have to till up the soil in such a way that the roots can really grow down and get to where they need to be. Then after you plant, of course, you have to fertilize again. You have to water again. You have to weed. Even if you put down landscaping paper, you still have to pull the weeds. Renee will tell you, I can't walk past our flower beds. We can't sit out there without me pulling just a weed or two. I, I can't stand. i got to get them out of there. And so there's a lot of work to be done before, important work, a lot of important work to be done after. If you're going to have a successful garden, it's not simply about planning, but it's a process, a process you have to see through from the beginning all the way to the end. Well, last week, after we considered Christ's parable of the sower, I was reminded by Dr. Long uh, that, that when we, if we want that heart that, that is the good soil, it takes cultivation. It takes lifelong cultivation. It's not just a one-time process, uh, but, but it's a lifelong process process. And we see that sort of played out in the parable itself, right? Uh, you think about the ground that is the hard path, the, the path that has not been worked or prepared at all. You think about the, the rocky soil that has all the obstructions in it so that no water can get to the plants. They can't grow down deep, right? Think about the thorns that, that choke out the plant. They, they haven't been weeded. Nothing has been removed. And so the plant that you want to grow, it can't grow. The theme in all of those is the same. The soil, that the hearts of those hearers that represent each one of these, they are not prepared. And so the seed, the word, it can't flourish. It doesn't flourish. If we're to hold fast to God's word, we have a need for continual cultivation. Now, the question for us this morning is, how do we do that? How, how do we cultivate the soil of our hearts in such a way? How do we keep watch over it so that when the seed comes, when the word, when we hear it, that we can be true hearers, that we can hear God's word? Well, that's what I want us to consider today. Now, we're going to use this passage, really verses 15 down through 21, kind of as a guide for us. Uh, but we're going to be skipping around a lot. 
So I want you to keep your Bibles open. I'll direct you where to go. But there's going to be some passages that we need to turn to so that we can kind of look at them together. So let's look at it. First thing that I want you to see here is that cultivating good spiritual soil, it requires dependence. It requires dependence. In other words, it only comes as we look away from ourselves and look to somebody else, namely Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now, I think you can see that played out there in verse 15. There at the beginning, Jesus says that it is an honest and a good heart that is the good soil. Two things there, honesty and goodness. Let's look at those in turn. First, it's an honest soil. Honest with who? Well, really honest with everybody, right? But particularly here, honest with with two people. First, honest with itself. Good soil is, hard, is, is soil that is honest with itself. It recognizes its own sin. It recognizes its own complete inability as it approaches God's word to hold fast to it or even to begin to want to hold fast to it. We see this in David so often. Turn with me over to the book of Psalms. Turn to, to Psalm chapter 31. Here David is... is kind of confessing his transgressions. He's, he's speaking to the Lord here. And in verse 10 of Psalm 31, he says, well, let's start in verse 9. He says, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and my body also. Then verse 10, For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails. Why? Because of my iniquity. And my bones waste away. Turn over just a couple pages to Psalm 38. Starting in verse, the second half of verse 3. He says, there is no health in my bones. Why? Because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head. Like a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate all the day I go about mourning, for my sides are filled with burning, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. Why is it that he's in the condition that he's in? It's because of his sin. Then, of course, if you turn to Psalm 51, uh, that great psalm of David that we know so well, a couple verses I want you to see here. First, 51 and in verse 3. He says, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Skip over to verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. And then in verse 9, hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Here, David, he doesn't hide from himself. He doesn't hide from the truth of what his heart is showing him, but as we like to say in our culture, he owns it. He owns it all. He knows the, the reality of what his sin has done. And friends, how important that is. One of the greatest barriers that we have when we come to God's word, to the seed really taking, taking root in our hearts, it's the lies that we tend to tell ourselves. 
You know, my sin, it isn't that bad. At least it's not as bad as the next guys. I am a pretty good person. In fact, I have this Christianity thing down pretty, pretty much. I've got it figured out. And so I think I can handle this one. I think I can do this on my own. But all along the way, the soil of our hearts, it begins to harden, right? The soil of our hearts, the, the weeds, they begin to spring up. And we find ourselves, like Israel, in the book of Judges. You remember the, the kind of theme, the reoccurring theme of that book over and over and over again. Is that God delivers his people. And they rejoice in it for some time. But then sin comes and they sin against God worse and worse each time. And, and what does he say? Everyone does what is right in their own eyes. They do what they want to do. They forget God. They forget his word. Friends, we need to recognize that, that that is our default setting. That that is where we all run back to if we're not careful, if we're not focusing on God. We all fall back to, hey, I can do this by myself. If we're not honest with who we are, constantly identifying, wrestling with our sin, friends, then we are going to, to live in a self-sufficiency that will keep us from the truth of what God has to say to us. You know, John Owen, he, he said it so well. If we're not wrestling sin, if we're not trying to kill sin, then it will be killing us. So we have to identify. We have to be honest about it. But there's a second person that we must be honest with. You know, if someone ha has wronged you, say it's a, a child, say it's a friend, is it simply enough for them to acknowledge that truth to themselves? I mean, that's good. That's good for them. They need to do that. Uh, but, but what does that do for you? There's still the barrier that exists between you and that person, right? We, we need them to come and to be honest with us as well. Truth is, is we can't just be honest with, with who we are in our own hearts. But we must also come clean, as the author of Hebrews says, to, to the one with whom we have to do. We must run to God and we must confess our sins, our inadequacies, especially as we approach his word, especially as we consider what he has said. We must run to him and say, Lord, I am sinful. I don't have this all together. Again, go back to David. I should have told you to keep your finger stuck there. But again, back in Psalm 51. You know, he, he had said in verse 3, For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. But then in verse 4, he says, Against you, you only, God, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Verse 6, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret hearts. The, the implication there is, is he has not delighted in truth. He has not held to the truth in his heart. Verse 7, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Implication, I am not clean. I need you to do that. I need you to wash me so that I might be whiter than snow. And then in verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. David recognizes he does not have these things. And so he runs to God and he confesses it. He says, God, I need you to do these things in my life. This is the posture of a heart with good soil. It is a broken and contrite heart. 
as, Jesus, as, as David says there in verse 17 of, of Psalm 51. It is one laid bare before the maker of heaven and earth. It is a posture of complete dependence. And notice, it, it really is a posture. It's not simply us confessing and listing our sins. But friends, this is the way that we walk before God all the time in every area of our lives. As Proverbs says, the beginning of wisdom is what? It is fear of the Lord. We walk before him in constant acknowledgement of who we are, sinners. And then also in constant acknowledgement of who he is, a holy and righteous God, and that we are in a complete and utter need of mercy. Without it, we will all fall away. We're like that publican in Luke 18, and we're going to come to this at some point, maybe years from now, but at some point we'll come to this. You remember what he says there? He's bowed down before God in the temple. He can't even raise his eyes to God. And he says, Lord, have mercy on me, the sinner. That's, that's the posture that we see here. That's the posture of dependence that we must have as we approach God's word, as we approach him. This is where the good soil begins and honestly, friends, this is where it is maintained. And it's what ultimately leads us to the second thing that I want you to see about dependence. He said not only is it an honest heart, but it's also a good heart. And you see that there in the second part of 15. Now, truthfully, a good heart, it may not seem like much of an option after all that we have just got finished saying. But, you know, the great wonder of living in that posture of dependence and bowing before the maker of heaven and earth, confessing our sins, saying, Lord, this is the reality of who I am and I need your mercy. The, the, the great joy of that is that when we come in that way, he, he doesn't yell and scream at us. He doesn't give us what our sins deserve. But instead, as we've heard repeated over and over again, he shelters us under his mighty wing. He gives us peace. He gives us salvation so that his word might take root in our hearts. So that it might begin to grow. And that we can see that great harvest that, that he gives us there at the end of verse 15. Friends, the, the Christian life, from, from start to finish, cultivation, is always, always, it is a work of the triune God. It is really and ultimately His work. We see that here. It is dependence. So if you're here today and your soil is not very good, if you're having trouble believing or living in God's Word with, with any kind of consistency, can I ask you, how, how are you approaching his word? How are you approaching him? What's your posture like before God? Is it an arrogant posture? Oh, God, I, I got this. I, I can do it. Is it a manipulative posture saying, hey, God, I, I know I've done these things, but look at this. Look at, look at these things I've done. Is it a self-promoting posture? God, look, think about all of the great things, the ways that I've served you, the things that I've done. Or are you, like David, bowed down honestly 
and humbly looking only to his mercy and grace for the heart you need. Friends, we we can't overemphasize this point enough. If God does not work in us, if we are not bowed before him always and constantly, then we will live in self-sufficiency. We will look to ourselves to save ourselves. We see that played out in the world over and over and over again. The world that we live in, people are always trying to save themselves or they're looking to something else to save themselves. We must always live in dependence on him. Good soil is dependent soil. Secondly, cultivating good soil requires submission. Requires submission. Now, in many ways, this falls under that heading of dependence, and so I don't want to recover the ground that that we've just tread. I just simply want you to recognize that if God's word is to take root in our hearts, uh, we must be submissive to it. In other words, we must acknowledge the complete authority that it has over the world and over our lives. We must recognize God's word for what it is, the only piece of ultimate truth. I'm going to jump around a little bit here, uh, but flip. just look there at verses 19 through 21. It says, Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God, who do it. Now we're going to come back and try to apply that a little bit, but there in verse 21, he says it's those who hear the word of God and they submit to it, right? They hear it and then they go out and they do it. They don't simply pay lip service to God's word. They don't simply talk about the the uniqueness and the greatness of it, the importance of it, but they allow these words to transform their lives. They go out and they live by everything that Jesus says. They recognize that this truly is the highest authority. Friends, I wonder how many of us truly approach God's word with submission. Not not seeking to adjust it or to change its truth so that it's more palatable for us to to live by. Not, Not picking and choosing the things we like and don't like. Not sticking it over in a corner somewhere for it to collect dust. And let's be honest, unfortunately, that's the reality for, for a lot of us. You know, it's, we, we, we may get it out to bring it to church, but, but that's about as far as it goes. No. How many of us come looking to truly follow God, seeking to allow His Word to dictate the course of our lives and the decisions we make? I'll be honest, I think most of us today, we're we're cool with the idea of salvation. We're we're good with the idea of God loving us and giving us all of these great benefits, these great blessings. But we don't necessarily want the authority of the king. The reality is, is those two things, they go together. The benefits and the king, you can't have one without the other. If you want the benefits of Christ, you have to have the kingship, the the rule of Christ in your life. So, good soil. It is submissive soil. It submits to the things that God has said. Thirdly, 
Cultivating good soil, it requires patience, or as the New American Standard Version puts it, and I like this, it requires perseverance. Perseverance. You see that there, again, in, in 15 at the very end. It says that the good heart will bear fruit with patience. In other words, it requires an ongoing commitment. Now, now this should remind us of that seed that, that fell along the rocks, right? You remember, there's a person that, that received the word with joy. They were glad to hear it. Uh, but then, you know, sin kind of came into their life. Trials, hardships, temptations, and it didn't really stick around. They just kind of fell away from it. And so the joy that they had at the beginning, maybe for a day or two, a week or two, ultimately it's proven not to, to be real joy at all. They, they weren't grounded, nor did they persist in the Word. You remember, this is the theme of those great warning passages, those great and difficult warning passages in the book of Hebrews, right? I think I said this to you last week, but it's worth flipping back over there just to, to see a couple of these. Turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, and just look there at verse 1. The author says, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Those, that sounds familiar, right? It's exactly what Jesus is imploring us to do here. Have, have ears to hear. He says, We must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Lest we fall away from the truth of what he has said. Turn over to chapter 3 and in verse 12. He says, Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you with an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. And you remember how he compares them to that generation of the Exodus that saw God's power, saw his might, heard his word. But ultimately, they didn't enter into the promised land, right? They fell away from the truth. And then you turn over to chapter 6, starting in verse 4. He says, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tested, tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their harm and holding him up to contempt. And then finally, Hebrews chapter 11, that great hall of faith passage. We talked about this in Sunday school this morning, so all you kids that were in there, y'all listen to this, okay? You remember in that passage, he lists for us those great fathers of the faith who, who, not, who were not great necessarily in themselves, but, but who believed, who trusted in the Word. They trusted even when it was crazy. Think about Noah building an ark on dry land. But he had faith. Every day people were passing him saying, what are you doing? Why are you building it? He had faith. He believed God's word. He trusted it. Think about Abraham. Go sacrifice your son, the one that you love dearly, the one you waited a hundred years for. Go sacrifice him on the mountain. Abraham did it. He, he, was, he was willing. He, he trusted God enough to believe that if I'm going to do this, he's going to do something good with it. It was difficult. It was hard. Think about Joseph. As he goes off into slavery in Egypt, his life is one failure after another, seemingly. But by the end, he stands up and he says, all this that, that y'all meant for bad, my God, he meant it for good. Good, not only for me, but for all of Israel. Good for those of us who are sitting here today. God took those trials, those hardships, and he did great things. And so all of these men that are listed in this great passage, 
these men and women, they persevered. They persisted in the Word. They had faith all the way to the very end. Now, friends, it seems to me that, that in this world, this culture of instant gratification, that this is one of the great challenges that faces us. Persisting. To keep going. You know, we don't know how to wait or to trust in God or His promises because we've never had to wait or trust in a whole lot of anything. If we want something, we get it now. And so we run when temptation comes because we can be gratified by that temptation right now. We neglect or we falter from God's word at every trial because surely there's a quicker and easier way out. We don't want to wait on God to do what he has promised to do. And so like the thorny soil, we let all the cares and the riches and all of the things of this world take us over. And God's word, it never truly takes root in our hearts. Friends, we must learn to do, as the author of Hebrews says again in Hebrews chapter 12, to run the race set before us, setting aside every sin and every encumbrance that would seek to weigh us down, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, to keep going, to keep running. It may not be instant gratification. In a sense, it's certainly not what we're used to. And it certainly isn't a magic trick or a get-out-of-jail-free card. Walking in Christ, learning to persevere in him and to hold fast to what he has said, it is the only sure ground. Again, later in Luke's gospel, Jesus will say, Heaven and earth may pass away, but these words of mine, they will never pass away. Before every sermon I stand up here and preach, what do I say? The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. And I'll continue to say it because I say it with a purpose. What we're reading, it will stand. It, you don't have to like what I say. You don't have to like the way I say it. But you can't argue with what God says. Because my words will be forgotten. They will pass away. But his, they will not. They will stand to the end. And so as our Vacation Bible School song said, we will not look back, will not swerve from side to side, but in obedience, yeah, I see you, Parker, we'll keep moving forward. We'll run this race and we'll not grow weary because the strength we have is from the Lord. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep, in perseverance, keep moving forward. And so productive soil, good soil, it's persevering soil. It looks to Jesus. Fourthly, finally, good soil is productive soil. And we see that there again in verse 15. It bears much fruit, even a hundredfold. And then in verses 16 through 18, Jesus describes at least one of the ways that it produces that good fruit. It shines in the world like a lamp. Now, several weeks ago, um, New Haven was here. We were singing some songs with them. And I always say, all right, is there, there's a song that y'all want to hear, a song y'all want to sing. And they know the songs well enough now that they'll usually request one. And one of the guys, one of the older men, he said, hey, do you know this little light of mine? Man, yeah, I can. I don't know it on the guitar, but we can we can sing it. And so, sure enough, we did it. And this, you know, hearing hearing them sing anything will remind you of the simple and great truths that are contained in those words. But I was reminded, you know, 
We're not hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. I won't let Satan get out. I'm going to let it shine, right? It's simple truths, great truths. So thankful for that. But then this week, as I actually approach the text itself, I realize that as profound as that song is, the text itself is a little bit harder to decipher. It's a little bit harder uh, to move through. Verse 16, it's fairly straightforward, right? We can understand that pretty well. Uh, if, if we're in the dark outside and you have a lamp or the flashlight, you're not going to hide it. You're not going to cover it up. You're not going to take the risk of stumbling or falling or running into something that you can't see in front of you. But you're going to let that light shine. Uh, for those of you guys that have been to MVP camp and for, for Ben, you know, so but as we go to our cabins at night, there's a long bridge about as wide as this aisle right here that's between the powwow and the cabins itself. And it never fails at least, at least, usually more than once, but at least one time every summer, I end up on that bridge in the middle of the night with no flashlight. At least once, usually more than that. And so you're walking along and you're just like trying to stick your foot out and make sure you're not going to fall. Because it's about a four or five foot drop on either side. So it's enough it would injure you if you did it. It's scary. You realize, I need a light. I need something in this moment to guide me. Well, it's the same, or it should be for God's word. It was meant to shape us, to teach us about God and ourselves, to guide us through this life. If it truly is our only rule of faith and practice, as we confessed with the catechism this morning, then we would be foolish, crazy, to hide it away. As, as J.C. Ryle says, and I love this, the gospel which we possess was not given us only to be admired or talked of or professed. That's, that's good, especially in Reformed churches because we're really good at admiring it and talking about it and professing it. But it's been given to be practiced. It's been given because it is the best way for us to live. How sad is it that we walk around with the words of life without ever actually using them, without ever actually putting them into practice? How much hardship and difficulty we could avoid if we would simply be doers instead of just halfway hearers of the word? It reminds us of what Jesus says there in Luke chapter 6. We saw this several weeks ago. Do you remember in verse 46? He says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord? and not do what I tell you. And then down in verse 49, he says, But the one who hears and does not do these words of mine is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it immediately, it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Now, I think it's that sentiment that Jesus moves into verse 17 with, and this is where things get a little bit less clear. This is where this verse is, is a difficult one, to be sure. Uh, some think that, that Jesus, here, let me read it to you first. He says, for nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Now, now some commentators think that Jesus has in mind here that the message of his gospel overall, you know, right now, while he's there on earth, it seems to be hidden. It seems to be kind of pushed away in the parables and all the things that he's saying. Nobody's really recognizing who he is other than the disciples and the few that believe. And so what Jesus is saying is that after his resurrection, in the ministry of the apostles, the light will shine. The truth will really come out. 
Now, look, that, that's a true statement, and that may be what Jesus has in mind here. But I tend to think that what Jesus is referring to are, are those who are hiding their, their lamps. It's those who are hiding their knowledge of Christ and his word. And what he's saying is that for them, what they have hidden, whatever truth they had that they have kept to themselves, whatever, as Paul would say in Romans 1, they have suppressed in unrighteousness, it will one day be revealed. Now, it really is true that God's word, it never comes back void. It's always doing its work, separating those who would hear from those who don't hear. And for those who will not, they will be held accountable for what they know and for what they neglected. All they hid away one day, it will come to light. Friends, the, the warning here for us is clear. And if you've fallen asleep, if I've lost you up until this point, then, then hear me now. He, hear this. Please, hear, hear what God is saying in these words. Because the warning is clear. We must be careful how we handle this book. For me and Ben particularly, for you Sunday school teachers, you elders, you deacons particularly, we must be careful how we handle this word. But for all of us as God's people, we have to approach it for what it is. It is authoritative whether we acknowledge it as that or not. And woe to those who will not. Because this is why my heart is so often heavy for people in churches all over the world today. That they sit week after week after week, maybe for their whole lives, and they hear God's word over and over and over again. But they fail to believe. They fail to do anything with it. And what God says here is all that they have heard, they will be held accountable for it. It will come to light one day, at that last day. Everything they knew and they suppressed, it will be taken from them. That's what he says in verse 18, right? Those who had little, it will all be gone. Their joy, their things, their hope, it will be lost. Please, please today, don't neglect God's word. Don't let it go in one ear and out the other. Hear what Jesus is saying to you and let those words shine in your life. Because notice, with the warning is also a sweet promise. He says, to those who have much, even more will be given as we walk with him, as we trust in these words, as we submit to it, as we depend on it. He says more will be added to you. One day, our joy, all of Christ's blessings, they will be known in full. What a joy that is. But even now, for those who believe and do, have the privilege of being Christ's true family. That's what he says there in verse 19 through 21. Don't, don't miss how amazing those verses are. They say, hey, your mother and your brothers are outside trying to get in. Jesus says, look, my mother and my brothers are those who hear my words and do it. That's my true family. 
No, we, we, ha- we are not family by blood per se, but we're certainly family that has been bought with blood. We're family that has been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Blood that can change our hearts from the bad soil that we so often have to the good that Jesus describes here. And so friends today, are you cultivating that soil? Good soil is dependent. It's submissive. It perseveres. And it produces a great, great crop. I'm going to end, just as I ended last week, with the same question. How's your soil today? Are you by faith, through the power of the Spirit, looking to Jesus and Him only, cultivating and maintaining the heart that you need to receive this word today? Let's pray together. Father, as we consider that, uh, we do. We need to hear from you. We need to hear what you have to say, and it's not just a one-time occurrence and we're good and we don't need to hear from you again, but always and constantly we need that seed to take root in our hearts and to grow. And so we need our hearts to always be cultivated, always ready to hear what you have to say. And Lord, the truth is, is, is we're insufficient for that. We don't do it well. We can't take care of ourselves the way that we should. And so we look to you. We look to your spirit to to work in us in a mighty and powerful way, knowing that that as you began that good work in us, you will see it through to completion. Lord, you call us to to take part in this. You call us to be active in independence and confession and bringing our inadequacies to you. You call us to persevere as we look to Jesus. You call us to open these Bibles and to study them and to get to know them and to get to know you, our friend, our redeemer who is there. And so I pray that we wouldn't take them home and throw them off to the side, leave them in our vehicles, leave them on the the nightstand, but that you would convict us to our very core so that every day we would just consider, whether it's a verse, whether it's a passage, however long, we consider what you would have to say to us. Lord, lead us in that truth so that we would be people of the word, that we would have ears to hear, and that we might go out and be doers of the word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.